as we aged, you know, it's always kind of looking, okay, what's, what's next? And so we just, I can remember being, you know, on a trip with him and we're just talking about how, man, it would be so cool to take people on a trip like what we do, you know, because a lot of times it's intimidating to go to Colorado for the first time or go, you know, go to Moab for the first time. And if you don't have, have a guide or have, have a friend that's been there before, it can be a challenge. And so we just, you know, put our heads together and Gnarly Roots was born. Coming to you from the heart of America, this is the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. On each episode, we'll talk with industry insiders, experienced adventure riders, ADV creators, and moto fabricators. On this episode of the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast, we catch up with Cole Kirkpatrick of Gnarly Routes, who along with his partner guides motorcycle enthusiasts on epic hand-picked off-road riding adventures. In addition, Cole's an accomplished professional action photographer and cinematographer, shooting and filming for the likes of KTM. He's a KTM adventure ambassador and helped film the Southern California Backcountry Discovery Route documentary. When he's not guiding or filming, Cole still finds time to compete in enduro races in his home state of Texas. We had a lot of fun with this one. Hey, on a quick programming note, we talk in this episode about the Sandwinder Enduro Race, uh, which I erroneously refer to as a Sidewinder Enduro Race. My apologies for the oversight. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. I am your host, Matt McFadden, joined as always by my co-host, Terry T-Rail Terrell. Terry, how are you doing out there? Doing fantastic, Matt. Good to be back. Good. Yeah, it is good to be, be back on here. We have, I've been really looking forward to this episode. Uh, we've been trying to get this guest on for a little bit now, and the guy wears a lot of hats. He's a busy guy. Uh, but we were finally able to lock this in and uh, record this session. So, uh, Cole Kirkpatrick, welcome to the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. Good to have you. Hey, Matt. Hey, Terry. I appreciate you guys having me on, and I'm excited to talk about all things two-wheeled with you guys. Well, we're excited to get you. You, um, as I mentioned, wear many hats. You are a, uh, a husband, a father, a racer, a cinematographer, an owner of an adventure uh, motorcycle company. How do you fit it all into uh, a 24-hour day? I have a very patient wife <laughs> that uh, is very, you know, she's she's been awesome in understanding uh, my hobbies and my professions and, you know, the importance of them. And she's just, I could, couldn't do it without her. So if she ever listens to this, I want her to know how much I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, you know, Terry and I, my wife said, maybe you should have the wives on sometimes. So, because everybody always asks her, like, how does your husband get away with going on these, you know, adventure rides all the time? And, you know, how do you put up with that? And so. Sure. And it, it's, it's tough too, to get, to get that point across some days when my wife just sees beautiful pictures of riding dirt bikes in mountains, you know, and, but I'm right. assuring her that yes, this is work, you know, trust me. Uh, Paying the so, mortgage, right? <laughs> that's it. Well, let's, let's talk about your early days. How did you, how did you get into to motorcycles and, you know, where'd you pick it up? You're first, maybe I should tell everybody, you are Texas through and through, right? Born and bred. That's uh, correct. Texas kid. Yes. I grew up in Lubbock, Texas. And how I got into motorcycle riding was through my dad. And he grew up in a ranching family in a small town called Post, Texas. And, and he grew up working cattle, uh, doing all of that. And, you know, once he was old enough to go to school and was working on his own, he, you know, he moved to Lubbock and, you know, he, he was always interested in motorcycles and he had, he had a, a motorcycle growing up, but, but whenever he, you know, was in school and had started having a family, he wasn't able to ride, but Gosh, when I was probably two or three, he kind of got back into it. And I just, it was something that my brother and I both had the opportunity to participate in. And it was always just a hobby. So we'd just go ride ranch roads, uh, ride in circles. And, you know, we did other things too. But for some reason, for me, as I got older, uh, you know, when I was 13, I started racing the, the Texas Enduro Series it just really caught on and I really enjoyed it, but it was never something that my dad just stuck us on a PW 50 and, you know, we didn't go ride every weekend or, you know, make a right. point to be motorcycle riders. It was just something that we would go do to spend time as a family and, and camp out. 
I'm sure it's just just like you guys too. You kind of get into it, and if if you enjoy it, or in, in my case, you know, I started racing the C class and the enduros and progressed, and it was just a really fun way to spend time with as a family, the four of us. And I was good at it. My brother was really good at it too. But I I just you know as I progressed, I just took it and and kept pursuing it. And you know, I'm so thankful that my my dad and mom gave me the opportunity, you know, as long as I was staying out of trouble and working on bikes in the garage, my dad was, was there to help, you know, drive and take me to motorcycle races. So it just, you know, now 20, 20 years later, you know, I, I still love to ride as much now as I, as I did when I was a kid. How, how far is, is post from Lubbock? It's just 40 minutes. So we can okay. be, I mean, from Lubbock, I can be at the place that I grew up riding in, you know, under an hour. So it's, it's very convenient. And there's some really incredible terrain um, out in the area around Lubbock. There's several motorcycle clubs that put on Texas Enduros. And it's just, it's neat terrain and uh, a great spot to ride. And, and this is, uh, we were talking earlier, this is, a, this is a pretty big property that your family has, yeah. right? It the the ranch that we ride on has been in um, my family for a, over a hundred years, and it is it's it's a sizable piece of property. And you know the my uncles still run cattle, um, they hunt, they do all that. But we've got an area where I where I ride, and uh, it's it's the rough country, so it's too rough to run cattle. And so <laughs> luckily, it's perfect for for motorcycle trails. So. That's it. Yeah. And and was that how you got into Enduros over motocross or some other time? Because you were out basically riding Enduro courses on the on the ranch land? It was. My dad r- raced Enduros, um, you know, back in the day. And my brother and I just grew up riding fairly challenging trail, but we didn't know any better. You know, my mm-hmm. we, we were riding KX100 older bikes back then, but we were still, you know, going places. And I don't think my dad realized that we were decent riders until we had a, um, a, a KTM dealer appreciation ride for the local shop at the ranch one weekend. And, you know, I think I was riding with a pretty s- solid group of guys and, you know, I wasn't leading the group or anything, but I was getting through some, some challenging stuff. And so, for me, that's always been since that's what I started in with the enduros. That's that's what I have gravitated towards. I like reading trail as it comes at you, and not really knowing what you're getting into. I mean, you know how long the special tests are going to be, but you don't know. You don't get to practice, so you've got to minimize mistakes and be able to go really fast uh, over something the first time you see it. And even to this day, I don't race that often, but I still race the Texas enduros just because I really and like to compete and I like to do the enduros, you know, just cause it's kind of me against the clock and there's, there's great competition at those events, but it's still, I enjoy, you know, racing a fresh trail. I watched, you know, and just kind of getting ready for this podcast. I was, th- there's a lot of, a lot of video of you out there on YouTube. And I was, I was watching, I think it was maybe this past year, the Texas sidewinder enduro and, and just watching that on the screen and watching how fast that terrain comes up on you. Uh, I hope it's slower in your mind because literally my palms are sweating watching this uh, going around every every turn. I mean, that's it, it was some pretty wild stuff. It is, and that that's a really cool that's a cool venue that the T Sec series gets to go to each year. And it's a lot of the T Sec races have similar terrain to what's out in West Texas, but that one's close to Austin, and so it's more woods terrain and 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 kind of like what I saw when I raced the National Enduro Series. And and this year the conditions were perfect uh andrew short was there so you know he and i were battling and he ended up beating me but we i was going for it you know just because i know i know how great of a rider he is it was an awesome race but i always you know when people ask about gopro footage it's the same thing with with anybody we're all riding as fast as we feel comfortable riding you know i'm I'm pushing the line but i feel in control but it's the same as a b rider a c rider if he's going all out for his speed, you know, he's got the same sensation that I do. Uh, my GoPro footage is just going to look faster. Well, my every time I take a GoPro of some huge descent or some huge ascent that we're going up, I'm so excited to download it. And then I get it and it looks like I'm going up a bunny hill. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm always telling, I'm, I'm, I'm always telling my wife, like, you should have seen this in real life. I mean, this was huge. I mean, I was, I was risking my life on this thing. And then you get back and it looks like I'm, I'm basically going up like a, you know, 10% grade. Mm-hmm. And that's why yeah. when you see the, the, you know, the onboard from Romaniacs or Erzberg and it looks scary on the right. GoPro, you know, that in person that there's no way, you know, riding up some of that stuff. Um, so you rode the, 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 you call it TSEC, right? TSEC, which is the Texas State Championship Enduro Circuit, and and rode that from what 2000 to 2006. Well, I mean, I still no. So I started riding that series in 2002, and I okay. have, I have done that series almost every year, not in its entirety, because some years work gets in the way, and then I was racing the National Enduro Series a few years uh, from right. 2007 until. 2011 so i would miss some local races but it's still just a really cool grassroots uh organization that i like to support and like i said i still really have fun riding the enduros the the jump to the enduro the nepg right Mm -hmm. from tsec is that is that just kind of local to national is it amateur to pro It, it it's it's just you know, a local or regional, you know, for the state of Texas and then, you know, going to the national level. And it's, it's a big jump. I mean, it, it, to go from, you know, a double A riders at the regional level level, they're very fast. They're very fit. They know how to ride motorcycles, but when you get to the national level and it's the pro class there, it's the best guys in the country, you know? And so for me, that was a, it was a big jump. You go from feeling like a, uh, you know, like a really good rider and I've won all these local races and then you go there and it's just a complete another level, you know? And so that, that was eye opening, And, um, I was fortunate to race for several years and, and get to see guys like Mike Lafferty and Russell Bobbitt. I mean, they beat me weekend and week out, but it was really cool becoming friends with those guys and, and seeing them and the series itself has grown big time since when I was doing it, when I was doing it, it was just when they started getting rid of timekeeping and uh, you know, they, now they'll, they'll sell out the first round in, in a matter of minutes uh, every year. So it's, it's, it's much bigger than it was uh, whenever, you know, I was into it. Good. Obviously uh, this is an expensive hobby or, you know, when did you get, when did you, in your career, when did you start, gaining support from from sponsorship and stuff like that so at the at the you know at the state level when i was winning the t-sec championships i had good support from ktm with bikes and parts allowance and that sort of thing and that continued to the national level but when i made the national jump then you know you start getting some form of contingency depending on race finishes end of year sort of thing but for me, you know, I only I won two national enduros in the four or five years that I did it. And I was I was in school still at the time. And it it was not something that I knew was sustainable for me long time. And I, I wasn't willing to completely lay it on the line when I was lining up, you know, towards the end of school. And that's whenever I just kind of got to the point that, OK, I've done this for, you know, as long as I have at the national level, I've tried to, you know, get to that top, top, top elite level. And it just, you know, I did not have what it took. And so from there, I just, you know, I was happy with, with the racing that I had done. And it, for me, it wasn't so much like, oh, I'm going to retire from racing because in my mind, I was never successful enough at racing to, to declare something like that. But I just, I was realistic and I had some opportunities to um, still continue to work in the, the motorcycle industry and at a much safer level and you know be able to actually make a living at it and so that's kind of your your question with making money racing for me i I, that was never you know i would win if i want to race i'd make a little bit of money but it was not you know it wouldn't just it didn't justify at the time for me to keep you know keep grinding and keep keep trying was that something that you made a conscious decision of you know i'm gonna stay in college and and, you know, get it, get a degree here. Or was that something where you were like, cause I, I can imagine a college kid, you're out running at, you at a pro level, you know, enduro races. That's pretty appealing to like, I'm going to just bail on everything else and put all my eggs in this basket. But was your, were your parents like, Hey, you need to stay in school. Or was that something that you thought, you know what, this is, I, I need to get an education here. 
my parents were always big on on the education part of it and you know i took i took one year off from racing or i'm one year off from school while i was racing and like you said when you're when you're young and you're i think i was 21 and all that i thought about was racing and it, i thought it was good for me to take a little bit of time off from school and mature a little bit cuz then i could kind of see where racing was going and then when I, when it was time to sit back in the classroom, I was much more focused on, okay, let's prepare for what's next and try to make a plan while still, you know, I was still enjoying racing local races and and staying fit and sharp on the bike. So uh, that's kind of how that went, but it was definitely my, my parents that, you know, the education part was always important. So you graduate with a, with a degree in advertising and you, you realize that racing is now, truly a hobby and not a career and you get into cinematography how how does that evolve was that something that you know you were taking a couple classes at 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 school and you're like i'm into this or were you out at the track and kind of shooting guys and and being like you know i got a knack for this or how did kirkpatrick digital cinema come to be so that came about Growing up, my dad had his own advertising agency and worked at other advertising agencies when I was little. And so I was always exposed to, you know, his artistic side. And we always had cameras growing up. And I can remember in 2000, putting together a, an edit off of a mini DV recorder on a early generation Apple computer. And so at a young age, I was always interested in that. And then in the National Enduro series, when I was doing that, I, I tried to operate a website and tried to put out content, not on the scale that we all do today with Instagram and Facebook. We didn't have those platforms, but I always tried to shoot video of, of trips, whether for, whether it was the, the international six day enduro uh, that I did a couple of times or just out training or at, at the races, I would try to document. But yes, as I, in school, I had several projects in uh, in college and in my senior advertising classes where shooting photos and shooting video, that part of it really interested me. And so I just, you know, I had a couple contacts in the in the motorcycle industry that I reached out to and their first reaction was, you're a motorcycle racer. And so I just worked on building up a reel and doing work, you know, free work initially, uh, just because I was still in school and I needed to have something to pro- provide to potential clients. And so luckily KTM early on, I, I got to do uh, a few projects with them and that grew into a, a much bigger relationship. And it just, you know, from there, it just kind of snowballed and into different, you know, clients in the industry. And then I've also got a few clients in Dallas that I do work for as well. So what was the first, like, so you go, you, you reach out to KTM, you're like, Hey, I got this idea. I got a video camera. I think this will work. Like, what was your first project for them? So my first project for them was in 2000, it was either 2013 or 2014. And it was the, the KTM HMC Superbike team launch. And it was the first time I met Chris Fillmore who, you know, he was in my wedding is, is one of my best friends. But that was the first project that I was tasked with. And I can remember having a, you know, a a cheap, super heavy tripod. I was wearing skateboard shoes and there's no telling how many miles I walked around that track. It was in uh, Homestead, Miami. And I could barely walk through the airport on the way home because my feet were hurting so bad. Um, But but that was my first shoot with KTM. And, And like I said, I've shot now everything from, uh, Supercross team shooting videos to dealer meetings to KTM rider rallies, all you know national championship videos for guys like Caleb Russell and you know Russell Bobbitt whenever he won the series national enduro series and um, so for them it was a wide range of of content that I ended up creating over the years. How much how much of your time throughout the day is devoted to your cinematography work? And we'll, we'll talk about gnarly routes here in a minute, but, you know, running uh, that side of the company versus uh, the cinematography side versus, you know, everything else that you're, you're doing. So I typically shoot, you know, twice a month, sometimes more depending on if it's local clients, uh, but with KTM and, and the other 
companies in the motorcycle industry I do work for, it just kind of depends. I mean, I could have a month where where I shoot three or four times and have a ton of, of footage on hard drives that are, you know, that I'm going to be editing on for the rest of the month. And then January, February for me is usually always pretty slow just because it's the start of the year. Things are just kind of getting going. And so it really depends on the, on the year. But, you know, right now with, with gnarly roots growing, it's, um, you know, I would say 50, 50 on, on that. And, and my business is kind of one of the things that, that we we offer with gnarly roots is the companies we partner with. We try to create content and try to make sure that any video content we post or, or photography that we post is, is really high quality. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it's evident when you go to your website, um, you spend about two minutes on the gnarly routes website. We'll give that out at the end of the podcast, but you spend about two minutes on that and you're ready not only to go sign up for this thing, but to go all in and, and buy a bike. And yeah, I mean, the, it, it really is uh, the emotional story that you tell with the cinematography that, you know, is displayed through the website of, on Gnarly Routes is, is really impressive. So let's let's talk about that for, for a minute. You start Gnarly Routes with Russell Bobbitt, right? You two came together. Did you start it and then he came in? How did that how'd that launch? So we started Gnarly Roots in 2018, but it's something that we had been talking about a few years prior. We would always get together every year and try to do one really cool guy's trip, just like I'm sure you and Terry do. You know, you you, you have this one big trip every year and you look forward to it and it's a blast. And and Russ was, Russ raced at and still does race at a, a very, very high level, but he was a factory racer for over 10 years with KTM and, and their various brands that they have. And as we aged, you know, it's always kind of looking, okay, what's, what's next. And so we just, I can remember being, you know, on a trip with him and we're just talking about how, man, it would be so cool to take people on a trip like what we do, you know, because a lot of times it's intimidating to go to Colorado for the first time or go, you know, pick, go to Moab for the first time. And if you don't have, have a guide or have, have a friend that's been there before, it can be a challenge. And so we just, you know, put our heads together and Gnarly Roots was born. And, um, you know, it's been, we're halfway through our third year. It's been a great learning process. We've had a lot of fun and it's just continuing to grow. How did you guys come up with the name Gnarly Routes? That was all Russ. He was, when he, when he, gosh, it would have been 2016 or 17. We were throwing names back and forth and he you know he threw gnarly routes out there and you know I, I thought it was great and it just it stuck and then got to work on starting a logo and then everything at the very end of it would have been December of 2017 or maybe November we just <laughs> decided to pull the trigger on it and kind of gave ourselves a, a hard deadline on when we were going to get started and that was that was January 2018. What was your first trip? What was your first route? Oh, the first one that we did our first year was um, at my family's place in Post, just because it's a, a it's private property that we have control over, and just thought it would be a good one uh, for us to kind of get our feet wet in in doing this because we had both spent time at the KTM Adventure Rider Rallies. And, you know, that's not so much guided riding, but it's riding in groups. And I had done uh, a few different events over the years where I put together some trail rides at the at the ranch and post. And so I, I was comfortable assembling groups and, and doing all of that. But, you know, post was our first place and we just had a group of four. And uh, it, it's just cool to see people, you know, come in from, from somewhere out of town and get to ride somewhere they they've never ridden in terrain that they you know aren't used to and and see the look on their faces and you guys provide it all i mean you provide the bike the setup accommodations yeah transportation right other than flying in right correct you've got to buy your plane ticket but you know we we service the bikes new new tires on we have new michelin tires on for each bike at every tour graphics uh you know, we outfit the bikes as we would our, or as we have our own personal bikes outfitted. Spring rates are set to the rider rider weight. So, you know, if you're a, a bigger guy and you fly in, you don't have to worry about riding a bike that's undersprung. Uh, it's for us, we just are trying to offer a premium experience and a premium 
level rental bike whenever you fly in and, and get, ride with us. And then, you know, you're getting to ride with a five-time national enduro champion, which is Russ. And then I'm providing video and photos every day. And we create recap videos to send our guests just to try to make it an unforgettable experience because it's always tough going home after something as, as cool as going on a ride with a bunch of people. You know, you go back home and you're bumming out, but then, you know, you look in your inbox and there's a link to a video and you can re- relive it all again. And so we just try to provide a bunch of, a bunch of things that, that uh, you know, make us uh, a really cool experience in my mind. So that's that, that video is a big part of your package that you offer. And, you know, as Matt mentioned earlier, you know, we always, we go on these rides and we come back and we try to share the experience with our family and friends and family. And it just never, never lives up to the experience that we had while we were out on the, on the trail. Can you, as a, as a professional cinematography expert, tell us, uh, give us some tips on how to make it look a little better. I can. The, the, the tough thing about our tours is that Russ and I are both carrying a lot of tools, food, lunch for everybody, and trying to play guide. That for me, I end up doing a lot of the filming with just a GoPro, where if I was going out on a big job, I would be carrying a lot more camera equipment. But that being said, with the GoPros, I'm using a, a Hero 8 currently, and it's got a lot of different options for the field of view that it has. And so you know, if I'm just trying to get B-roll footage, I'll adjust that to the, it's the linear mode. And so it doesn't show as much fisheye distortion. And then I've got settings for if I'm following Russ, how I have it uh, to, to shoot. And then if I'm riding a really narrow ridge or something, you can shoot it in the, in the super view mode and it will make it, you know, you'll make it where you can really see the sides of everything and the, the exposure. So um, for me, there's, it's just, fiddling with it and, and, and reading what other people that are into to action sports that use those cameras have had good luck uh, settings wise. Yeah. And the stabilization on that's gotten so good over the years that, I mean, it really is, you're knocking around on, on whoops or something like that. It really smooths everything out. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, I can remember having to use a gimbal on a, on a hero four years ago. And then now you just, you don't need any of that. I mean, it, just, yeah. it, it, it's so smooth. So who's the typical rider that's signing up for a gnarly routes adventure? We have all kinds. We've got, we, we had some, uh, a young guy in his late twenties last year, come ride with us in Montrose. But I, our, our average guy is probably, you know, mid to late thirties or, or mid to late forties. And I would rate them as just B level guys that like to ride. We've had some, some really experienced a riders, but for us, we we try to make it where our groups are, are similar similar skill levels, so that everybody can move down the trail at a at a similar pace. And if, for example, this uh, in February, Russ and I had a, a group out in post, and we had a couple of different skill levels. And it's easy for Russ to take the more advanced guys because he knows the property really well, as do I. And then I'll take you know, the, the people that maybe don't want to do some of the challenging stuff, but we try to, even though the name is gnarly routes and all the GoPro footage that we post is at least of Russ and I riding together is, you know, it's the, it's the stuff that makes people want to share it or watch it. Uh, but for us, it's all about making sure that the people that sign up and come ride with us have a good time. We, you know, for us, it's not about taking them out to a hill climb to show them how good Russ is. It's right. about it's about making sure that, for example, if you and Terry signed up, we would accommodate it to you guys. And if you wanted us to up the spice level, we would. And if you know if you you'd had enough, uh, we would. We just try to cater to what our guests are looking for. So you yeah, I mean, in D level riders as well. Oh yeah, well, we, we, we've, seen, <laughs> we've seen all kinds, and 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 something that's cool too about the bikes that we offer is uh, Recluse is one of our partners, and so. You know, say, Matt, if you reached out to me and wanted to sign up, we have the option for anybody that signs up on the five bikes we have. If, if they want a uh, recluse, a, a radius clutch, boom, you've got it. And, Put one on my bike, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so we we really do try to outfit the bikes to where they're as comfortable and as, you know, as close to what people are riding at home as possible. 
I remember the first time Terry rode with one, he kind of got off the bike and came back around him and he's like, it's kind of like cheating. It's awesome. <laughs> it is. It totally is. It's always there. It's always there when you need it. Hey, you mentioned so, that you carry all, you, you and uh, Russ are carrying all your gear. Does that, uh, does that mean that your, your trips are kind of out and back um, and you're not supported with uh, like a, a truck or a support vehicle? That's right. So we have a, a truck and trailer that we transport all the bikes in. And, and for us, we always start and end at the truck every day. Uh, you know, I think depending on the location, some of the loops will be all day loops. And we have those talks with our guests of, hey, once we start, we're going to be a long ways from the truck. So plan accordingly on how much energy you're using, how much you're hydrating, all of that. And then other locations like here in post, we're never more than 10 or 15 minutes from the truck, even though we've got, you know, 90 miles of trail to ride. And you guys, um, trained in first aid CPR, you carry a spot, you carry a satellite phone. So anybody that's going out on this thing is in, in good hands. Yes. And, and, you know, Russ and I take that part very seriously just because we're responsible for the the people that we're riding with. And we, we pre-ride everything because, you know, Matt and Terry, if you were riding with us and you're getting tired and you ask me, what else do, what, what's up ahead? I'm going to accurately tell you exactly what's up ahead. I'm not going to guess like, oh, it's just a few more miles. And then 25 more miles later, we're getting to the truck. And so uh, Russ and I both are CPR and first aid certified. And like you said, we carry spot, we carry a sat phone, first aid kit, all of that. And so, you know, while I feel like a lot of motorcycle riders, we don't think about that stuff too often for us whenever we are, you know, taking people out to ride, that's a, a high priority. Well, I'll tell you, um, I, I mentioned that because Terry and I, um, usually all of our trips are in a straight line, right? So we're always kind of moving down a, a path and we start at point A and we end at point B over the course of, of two weeks of off-road riding. But one year we decided that we were going to drop all of our gear in Moab and we were going to go out and do the White Rim Canyon, right? And then come back and, and camp in Moab and then put all the gear on and then go out the next day. Um, everybody was so excited to drop the gear that we just kind of quickly divided up air and patches and all kinds of stuff and took off. Well, we had some guys on 500, some guys on 1200s, and it, it quickly divided up into two groups. Long story short, we got stuck out in the White Rim Canyon um, at 106 degrees. Oh. And we're sucking water down like somebody's going to come around the corner any minute. And two hours later, nobody came around the corner. And we kept going and going and it's, I, I forget, it's a 140 mile loop or 120 mile loop or something like that. And the further we got in, the more I knew we were in trouble and we're running out of water. And I remember looking on the GPS and seeing the, um, seeing the green river and thinking, I don't care what's in that thing. If we get to it, I'm going to, I'm going to drink it and I'll deal with the consequences later. But the other thing I remember about that is, is I had the spot, but I couldn't remember if I bought the like $11 insurance for like the rescue for the, for the heli. Yeah. So I was like, man, I don't want to hit this thing and be like an $85,000 helicopter bill. Mm -hmm. So we're like, let's just keep going. And we did make it out of there. I think even to this day, we may have underestimated how much trouble we were actually in. Um, Beautiful, beautiful ride, fantastic ride, but uh, be prepared, take lots of water and, and make sure you got your spot uh, tuned up and, and a satellite phone if, if necessary. So, for sure. And, and Moab's one of those places that there's, there's not many spots to hide from the sun, depending on what time of day it is. It was embarrassing. Terry and I were lying uh, head to foot in, in about a two foot shadow on this little rock and we were literally you know it was you know we tried putting the bikes together and a a coat over it to create some kind of shade but the the engine heat was was still pretty hot um it wasn't finally a guy in a rock crawler no it wasn't fun yeah the the whole point of that was it was it was not fun let's talk because you've you've done some some big bike riding i mean you have been out to the the ktm adventure rallies um, I don't know if you have any inside knowledge as to whether they're having this year's or not. In they, they actually, I did get a press release uh, from from them that was you know sent out to last year's participants that they okay. were not not going to have it this year just due yeah. to everything that's going on. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think we I think we ended our ride last year in McCall, Idaho, and it's my favorite town uh, right cool. now. Okay, yeah, I love cool. McCall. I don't know if you've ever been there. I haven't. If you ever get the chance, go up. It is it is phenomenal. Um, whether you're riding motorcycles or, or riding snow machines, it's it's a fantastic place, summer and winter. Um, but you 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 were out in Breckenridge last year, correct? Mm-hmm. And I've done I've done all the KTM rider rallies since the 2013 in, in uh, Bend, Oregon. That was the first one that I attended to shoot for KTM. Okay, my, my dates may be off um, a year, but that was the that was the first year. And and since that that Bend, Oregon one, I would go and and do a site visit for the, the each rider rally every year and shoot promotional content, and then attend again for the rally itself to cover the weekend for KTM. And and are you kind of a, are they asking you to be kind of a jack of all trades, like an ambassador and a group rider and, and do some shooting as well? Or when I'm there, I'm, my primarily focus is shooting and that's, you know, that's my purpose there. Not so much brand ambassador uh, at all. It's, you know, I'm there to shoot, shoot photos, even though Russ and I are both KTM brand ambassadors and adventure ambassadors. For me, when I show up on the the rider rally weekends, I'm in my mind. I'm there to to shoot photos and video, and I'm at the back of groups and leapfrogging groups and and doing that sort of thing. It's um, we we always end our ride, um, you know, first of September, and it's a hard sell to the wives to turn around and get back out. Kind of when when are they? Mid September, early October, right? Oh, mid September. Uh, mid September, yeah. To turn around two weeks later and go, hey, guess what? I'm going on another. Another, mm-hmm. I, I almost pulled off Breckenridge under the guise of a family vacation, but she's, she saw through that. And uh, as, as good as she is, she's like, yeah, maybe we go somewhere else. <laughs> uh, I was watching um, the Southern California BDR movie. Mm-hmm. Is it a movie documentary? It's a documentary. Yeah, documentary. Uh, and I know you shot a lot of that, right? I provided additional footage to the main crew on on that california the southern california bdr okay so that, that just to, so everybody's acclimated it's uh backcountry discovery routes bdr if you're into adventure riding you should know all about the bdr if you're not go learn about the bdr but off-road trails throughout most of the west and now filling out kind of the the east coast as well uh and and they broke california up into two rides, right? So a Northern and a Southern route, and then uh, provided some, some documentary film content on the eight days, I think from, from the Mexican border up to where do you end in that one? We ended up in, Oh, what's the park called? Alabama Hills is the, uh, the, yeah. the area that we had the final camp spot in. Okay. So you rode all eight, all eight days. I did. And for me, I was not familiar with the BDR prior to that. And I can remember, oh, really? okay. I can remember Quinn Cody reaching out to me. And, and, and prior to that ride, I had only done a couple of overnight trips on big bikes. And it was with, with Russ and actually Chris Fillmore that I talked about earlier. Uh, just real quick campouts where we were carrying our mountain bikes on our uh, KTM adventures. But as far as the BDR goes, when Quinn reached out to me and told me how many days it was going to be and sleep in a tent, at first I was thinking that it didn't sound like any fun. And I, for me, every time I've been in Southern California, it's just been super hot and dry, just like where Lubbock is. I'm, I'm yeah. familiar, familiar with that type of climate, but I just thought about Death Valley and the desert. And I just was thinking that it sounds like it's going to be brutal but I'm in, you know, I love, I love doing motorcycle adventures. And so, uh, the BDR guys got, got myself set up with uh, sleeping bags, tents, all of that. And I flew to, uh, Ontario, California, and then drove to Murrieta where KTM is. And Quinn had this sweet 1090, or, uh, it was a yeah, 1090 adventure R prepped and ready to go for me. Already had the, the bags on the side, the hard cases. And he and I spent a day packing those things. And, and I'm, you know, I'm having to pack for the, not only the trip, but also to carry, you know, more camera gear than I do when I go ride on a gnarly route right. store. So I carried a lot of camera stuff looking back. I had way too much, but for me, I didn't want to be underprepared. And I, I can say that it, it was one of the coolest experiences that I've had on two wheels 
the, the eight days was long and if you guys went and wrote it, it wouldn't take you that long. We, I mean, we spent a ton of time every day shooting. And so that, yeah. you know, made the process long and it's neat to see what the the BDR crew has done because you can, you can go watch a documentary on every route that they have available to the public to kind of see what you're getting into. Uh, they, they show historical markers and just talk about what to expect, but it was, I really got to where I enjoyed the routine of setting up camp every night and then tearing it down in the morning and the coffee first thing in the morning when the sun's yeah. coming up. It just, it was so cool feeling so removed from civilization with this with this group of people that I was riding with. And the Death Valley is probably the most amazing place that I've ever ridden through or, or seen. It just, the that area and the terrain there blew my mind and I just when I got done I was so thankful that I didn't say no to that trip because I was in you know I was a little bit intimidated by it and I learned a lot as far as the the big bike riding goes and that you don't really need to pack that many clothes and you know I learned that less is more and I was also blown away you know I'm a I'm a big KTM fan uh but I was amazed at what that 1090 did and how few things I had to check and adjust over the course of, of that, you know, eight days, because we, we hammered those, those bikes. I crashed one day following Quinn, uh, trying to get some sweet GoPro footage and hit a ditch and got lucky that, you know, it only laid the bike down and I walked away from it fine. But it was uh, that, that it, video, by the way, is out and available on, oh, on YouTube. I've watched, <laughs> I've watched I, it a couple of times. It's it's a pretty, it's I, you popped right up. I don't know if I'd have gotten up so fast. I did, and those bikes we had. I bet I had sixty or seventy pounds of weight on that motor, additional weight on that motorcycle, and it just. I saw Quinn lift the front end up and wheelie over this ditch, and I knew it was going to be tough to keep the bike in a straight line and when i hit it all that weight just unloaded and went one direction and like i said i was lucky that i was able to step off and get away from the bike and and not get hit by anything but it was uh the footage turned out good so i was i was happy about that <laughs> yeah and and just so that you know we do talk a lot about uh ktms but the the bdr is agnostic to what what bike you ride it's it i think ktm was a sponsor of is a sponsor of the backcountry discovery routes but i think bmw motorrad also is and i think on, on that trip you even had the the owner of a, a bmw dealer right who, who right. took yes yes we had there were multiple bmws we had gosh i'm trying to think it was a it was a wide range and even even for me i'm an orange bleeder but if you're out riding motorcycles, you know, if you're out on two wheels, I think that's awesome. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it, BDR is accessible to anyone and, and they try to make it the easier to break in into that segment. Because again, if, if you get an adventure bike, the next thing to go do is multi-day trips on it. And that's, that's intimidating, intimidating and, and BDR makes it where you can go and access all the routes, all the information and get started. Yeah, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, part of Terry's uh, route planning had us on a BDR. And I remember kind of having a discussion about like, man, are we going to get on there? And is it going to be like you're at Disney and there's going to be, you know, you're going to be backed up and stacked, you know, riders. And it's not the case. You know, we were I, I think we got on in Idaho and it I mean, you know, we you might pass one other group of riders during the day, but it's as remote as any other trail that, that we had been on. And so I think we've incorporated, you know, over the years more and more of the BDR because it, the, you know, you just download the the GPS routes and put them in and it, it's the easy button on route. easier. <laughs> yeah. It's the easy button of route planning, right, Derek? Yeah. Well, they, one of the things that I thought was cool meeting those guys is, is that they, they do try to make it where the routes feel extremely remote. You know, you're not going to go through a, a big town or a big city. You're going to go through a one stoplight town to get gas and that's it. And then you're going to go to a camp spot. So I really enjoyed that part of it where you would ride all day through beautiful landscapes, have a equally pretty campsite and repeat it for the, you know, the rest of the days. The only thing I didn't like about that whole route was the amount of sand. Oh yeah, no, we, we talk we, we talk about it a lot on this podcast, but 
Boy, that had a lot of sand. Oh, so I have some video of that BMW BMW dealer you were talking about riding on the back of Quinn's 1290 Super Adventure in the sand. Because he like displaced the rim or something, or he he did first first day. We all you know have our little riders meeting in the morning, and I think it was a six or seven mile sand wash that we had to ride in. And I'm a really experienced you know, small dirt bike rider. And we got in the sand and there were times where I was just doing a slalom course because I couldn't help it. I was just letting the bike go where it would go. And I had never ridden sand on a big bike before. And it was, I've got GoPro footage of me cussing at myself, laughing at myself. It was just, it was, it was comical. But it was it was very challenging getting everybody through that the first day. It's it's comforting knowing that even you cuss at yourself going through sand. You know, it's you want to get on the gas, you you know, but your head, everything in your head is saying go slow and stare straight down at that front tire, and you know, all, all oh, yeah. tech all well, technique goes out the window. It it does, and luckily Quinn was there because you know he's he's so good at riding the big bikes. He he does yeah. a lot of R and D for for KTM, but it's just one of those. Okay, Quinn, what do you do? And he just he tells me and just upshift and just go. You know you you right. got you got to go, and uh, so that that helped a lot. He's doing a lot of of kind of taking the European design of KTM and. Or, or giving input to them, right, for what the American audience is is riding. That's correct. He is he is, you know, the the ten ninety adventure R and a twelve ninety super adventure. He had a lot to do with, and the seven ninety. He had yeah. a lot to do with developing that motorcycle and and making it where it's extremely off road capable. And that's one of the things that anybody that I talk to that's that's interested in a big bike for me the 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 1090 that I had experience on at the time that bike was incredible because if you were a good motorcycle rider a good trail rider you could take that bike to amazing places and then if you got on pavement you could run 80 miles an hour no problem or if you got on a fire road it just it was such a sweet bike for long long distances and long days yeah I made the I made the jump to the 1090 in 18 and uh have really enjoyed it i was on the the bmw 1200 before that and i love that bike too i mean i can't really say that bike was pretty bulletproof Mm -hmm. um and and i put it through its paces for sure um not because i'm such a good rider but because i wreck a lot (laughs) (laughs) but uh but moving over to that the 1090 it does you sit higher on it and I don't know if you physically sit higher. You feel like you sit higher on it. It's it, definitely it, it, at a high seat height. Yeah, it, and it, it definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm just over six feet, okay. and uh, fortunately, when I have it loaded down, I'm fine. But if I don't have anything on it, um, you know, I'm I'm a little bit on my tiptoes. Uh, Terry's on the 1190. He's got no problem Sweet. Uh, with the with those long legs. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's it, it rides a lot more like a dirt bike than than the BMW. Uh, did for sure uh you know and it's a little rougher on the road but not not too much right yeah and we still do uh unfortunately overpack almost every single trip as much as we tell each other you know you don't need you don't need it you don't need it you don't need it and then it always ends up making it into those paneers Mm -hmm. it's hard it's hard to leave stuff behind yeah i mean i've gotten down to a spork but I don't think, you know, like I can't drop too many more things. What we always overpack is uh, mountain house meals, right? So we pack, you know, if we do a 12-day trip, we'll pack, you know, 30 mountain house meals. <laughs> and then you end up going through these one stoplight towns and it's like always has a burger place and a bar. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, we got to get gas anyway. We might as well stop there. And you come home with 20 mountain house meals. That, you that, know, that's what I had tuna for some reason on the BDR. I just put a bunch of canned tuna because I, I, don't, I was my first time doing a trip like that. And when I got home, I was just dumping all that stuff out <laughs> of my bag. You know, the, the first, the first trip we took, um, I was so hungry at the end of it and I ate a mountain house meal and I was like, that wasn't enough. So I ate another one and I woke up the next morning, Cole, and I couldn't even close my hands. My fingers were so swollen 
And my and I went and looked at the bag and looked how much sodium's in this thing. Oh. So I, I had like oh, I don't know two weeks of sodium <laughs> in the in that, in that one meal, and oh. I could barely grip the 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 handlebars because my my fingers were so swollen. So uh, le- lesson learned there. Hey hey Cole, you uh, you said that you and Russell always you know kind of do these big or these trips every year that you know you want to take the guys on or whatever. Do you have any desire to do any more big bike trips? Maybe down the road uh, for us, we're getting gnarly routes to the point to where we're selling out tours regularly with the small bikes. And, you know, we have, we have permits and all the, the places that are public riding areas that we operate. And, and for us, we just right now aren't in, we're not in a position to add, big, big motorcycles to our, our transport trailer right. and to, uh, to our lineup of bikes. We may get into that down the road, but Russ and I both really like riding dirt bikes and our bikes are plated. And so if we had to, we could, we could ride pavement, but we, we want to take people on, you know, the cool single track rides that, that we enjoy. Uh, and so that's kind of why we're, we're sticking to, to that right now. But Russ rides a, a 500 on our, on all of our tours and, he throws that thing around like, like, like it's nothing. I mean, it, it's a pretty lightweight motorcycle, but we just haven't made um, that jump, and we, we haven't talked about it too much um, at this time. You had just mentioned that you enjoyed the BDR ride so much that I thought maybe personally, not necessarily, oh, okay, but at, just personally that you might want to. Uh, what what, ter- what Terry's really asking, Cole, is how much is it going to cost for you to come up and, and make us look good on oh. big bikes? Oh, uh, we definitely, we definitely need to get together and ride some big bikes. And last year I had a 1090 at the house, but it's, I sent it back to KTM. And right now I don't have another big bike, but my dad's got a, uh, a 690 and an old, uh, KTM 990 adventure. And so what yeah, I'm working on bike. right now is trying to get my dad and brother out on a, on a mountain trip somewhere, whether it be on the small bikes or the big bikes just before my brother, sure. he's a, he's a new dad as well. And my dad, he can still ride great, but he's getting older too. So I'm just, you know, the next couple of years, I want to try to do something really epic with them. So that'll probably be the next big bike trip. I you got to do it. You got to do it. What, what, um, what bikes are you riding or what are your guests riding with gnarly routes? Are they 250s, 300s? So currently we have a uh, 250 XCW TPI KTM, which is a two stroke. We've got a 300 XCW TPI and then that's a two stroke. And then we have three 350 EXCs that are the four stroke motorcycles. And are you two stroke or first four stroke guy? I'm a two stroke guy. And so I ride the, uh, KTM, the 300 XCW TPI, and then Russ rides a 500 the main reason for that is just so that we can kind of showcase two bikes, but also have a four stroke and a two stroke where if a guest needs a part, if they need to rob a part off of my bike, I can, you know, do that. And same thing for him. So that's, that's the biggest reason for he and I riding different bikes. Cause he still rides a two stroke at home, rides and races one. A couple of years ago, I just watched this video. Um, you know, we had uh, Bud Carmen who was on um, our first episode went out just this year and rode the five miles of hell. And then I went back and was doing some research on you. And I saw that you and Russell had ridden that a, what, a couple of years ago. We rode it last year. And so every, oh, last year. I had ridden it once before with a group of guys or actually with one other guy. And it was in 2015 and it, it was a very slow trail pace. And since Russ and I have been in, in Utah every year, we'd have people reach out to us like, oh, you got to go ride five miles of hell. And Russ and I had a week. We did back-to-back tours last year. And so we had a week in between where we were prepping bikes and we had a day where we had time. And, and it was one of those where we wanted to get some GoPro footage and we were so close to it that it made sense to. And we just, it was Russ's first time to ride that trail. We rode to the trailhead, turned the GoPros on. I told him, I was like, we need to run this start to finish and just see what happens. And, and we did. And it was, we got done and we were high-fiving and both breathing hard. And I mean, my goggles were fogging. I felt like I was in a special test of an enduro. I mean, we were riding, Russ was riding a, his, a trail pace for him. I mean, and, and I was able to key off of him, which made it much easier to be the second guy, but we got, we missed the trail a couple of times, but it, it was a blast. And I couldn't believe how 
popular that video was. And there's been a, another group that another guy went out and outdid our time. So we're going to have to go back out yeah. now. So what, what was your time? Four, 43 minutes? Yes. And I think somebody broke 40, either broke 40 minutes or was right it at 40 minutes, maybe 39. I can't wow. remember. But uh, so we're going to have to go back. We were going to go uh, before the COVID stuff happened and, you know, Moab shut down. And so we had to push, they reached out to all the outfitters and guides and just said that, you know, we have to delay everything. And so hopefully this fall we'll get a chance to go and, and do it again. But, you know, we, we want to find some other trails that are, are as iconic as that one to show people, you know, what you can ride. Cause there's five miles. Of Russ, Russ is riding a 500 on that. Oh yeah. He was riding a 500. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he can ride anything. I mean, I wouldn't, he could ride a big bike through there, you know, it'd take him a while, but I've seen him do stuff on big bikes that, you know, I just shake my head at it. The guy's just got unbelievable skills, but, um, that trail, it just, it doesn't let up, you know, and there's so many rocks and things that you can smash a pipe or a clutch cover or a rip a foot peg off that you've got to be on your toes. And so I think that's what makes that trail so challenging is that it's just, it's relentless. There's nothing that, that I would say is impossible or, you know, that you can't get up. It just takes time and, and finesse to get through. Are you looking at into expanding your the, the additional routes? We, we always are. So each year we have a, you know, 10 to 12 places that we submit permits for or hope to get commercial use permits. And so that really dictates a lot of what we offer. And then, you know, with, with my personal, with my business, and then Russ has a, a lot of stuff that he's doing at home too. We try to work the calendar where it makes sense. And, you know, we don't want to burn ourselves out. Last year we did a couple of back-to-back weekends and, and that was tough because when we have a group of five guys come in, as soon as they leave, we're changing five sets of tires, putting new tires on, oil changes, air filters, going over the bikes, replacing parts. If we need to swap out auto clutches for manual clutch, you know, we're doing all of that. And so we've, we've got it right now to where it's it's manageable for us. And like I said, we, we try to offer really cool places, but venues that we have permits for and that are excited for us to be there as well. So um, that's that's kind of where we are with that. Has anybody has anybody just totally torqued a bike? No, we've been really fortunate, knock on wood, that we haven't had, you know, any anything like that happen. Of course, right. there, you know, we we replace a lot of plastic on the handguards from guys falling over, dropping the bikes, but really the riders that we've had have all ridden within their skill set and haven't tried anything crazy. And a lot of the places that we ride, you know, you learn really quick that you can't ride erratically um you know moab there's huge huge cliffs out there and it you you feel pretty small right off the bat and, and we try to the days get more challenging usually as we go but we also try to early on ride some fairly technical stuff just to kind of settle everybody down um you know because it's easy to we we provide a a new set of gear to all the guys that sign up. So it's, it's easy to be, you know, looking good and bike looks good and ready to show everybody how fast you are. And, you know, we try to just kind of keep, keep it, uh, keep everybody calm and kind of put them in their place a little bit off, off the bat. Uh, but we've been, like I said, we've been really fortunate that all the, all the people that have joined us have been great to deal with and have, have respected our equipment and, and, and treated it really well. Yeah, you know, I was watching a video of the one of the founders of the BDR, and they said, you know, what's one piece of advice you'd give to people who are out riding the BDR? And they said, let the trail come to you. Mm-hmm. You get so hyped up on the start of this multi-day trip, and you want to get after it. He said 90% of the wrecks that happen, happen on day one, because people just, you know, going out too fast and getting too crazy and trying to do too much. Oh, that's it. And uh, luckily, a lot of our guys are, are experienced riders. So they've got that. Uh, they're already kind of programmed that way. Whereas we've all ridden with with people. And I've been that young kid before in groups where you're jumping off of everything, wheeling into the stuff. And then you end up on your head and the old guys are, you know, shaking their shaking their head and, and steady all day long. But um, we've had, we've had great experiences so far. Ter- Terry's still that, I young, re- <laughs> I that young guy, but I'm 53. 
that's, well, it's probably different too. When I'm riding with my buddies, I'm always trying to splash people or, or do do all that. But when it when I'm when I'm with a, a guest on one of our our tours, I'm a, I'm a little bit nicer. You're not roostering them. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Cole Kirkpatrick, thank you for coming on the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. I really appreciate uh, the time, uh, the insight. It's always fun to have you know a guy of your caliber and and uh, riding prestige come in and and impart some knowledge uh, on some hacks like Terry and I. So really appreciate that, um, guys. If you want to go out there, we'll put some links on the website, but. Uh, gnarly routes www gnarly routes that's g-n-a-r-l-y-r-o-u-t-e-s.com uh, you can also see some of cole's work at kirkpatrickdigitalcinema.com and uh, learn a little bit more about cole at kirkpatrickracing.com he's also on instagram at, at cole at cole kirkpatrick and at gnarly routes cole thanks again for coming on really appreciate the time and we'll catch up soon you're welcome, Matt, Terry. I, I appreciate you all having me on, and I enjoyed talking about dirt bikes, and I hope to uh, get you guys out sometime to ride, whether it's on big bikes or some small displacement bikes. We need to, to get together and maybe shoot some video or, or just spend some time outside riding. Really? Sounds great. Cool. Thanks so much for your time.